Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 199, Playing God. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're staying cool. I hope you're being able to take some time out, whether it's your summer or your winter, because we are heading, as you keep hearing me say, for a massive event at the end of this month. And who knows what will be when we finish this event. I'm not just saying it's July the 31st and August the 1st. It may continue for several weeks, but... The more I look at this Uranus-Mars-North-Node conjunction in Taurus and look back at other times when this has happened, there certainly have been some unexpected events. Now, part of that is the heating up that's happening to many of you at this moment. You're getting hotter and hotter. And Mars being about heat and Uranus being about unexpected heat coming up from the Earth sometimes. I think we're going to see things hotting up both politically, financially, within the planet itself, maybe earthquakes, volcanoes. And I'm praying that nothing unexpected happens that causes people to suffer in a large way. But I think we also need to be aware of the importance of grounding ourselves and rooting ourselves. And the fact that, as I'll be talking about more next time, we have Saturn is squaring all of these different planets. And so there is this sort of tension building up. Saturn is about structure and foundation and authority. And Uranus is about change and revolution. So I think that we could see tremendous changes taking place. I hope the old guard are no longer going to be able to hold the old guard perfections that they've had, the way they want to do things and that other people are going to be able to step forward. So that tension, I think, is building. Interestingly, the North Node is to do with the head of the serpent, and the head got cut off from the tail, and you could say the head is to do with only working from the head, not actually considering the feelings and everything else. But at the same time, we're going to see the South Node opposite the Uranus and Mars, and that's going to have an influence as well. Maybe we're going to get... Uh, dark secrets coming to the surface because the tail also represents the darkness of the secrets. So we will talk more about this, but we'll watch this space. I think there's going to be a push to bring in new inventions of nature, food, body, money, security. And uh, we are certainly watching as there's a desire for a digital currency, a social currency, where everybody is required to follow certain lines in order to get any currency to spend money on. This is really not, I think, a direction any of us want to go in, but it's certainly coming to a head. And uh, I think that anybody who's putting their head in the sand and thinking that it's all just going to go away is perhaps not doing the wisest thing at this time because the sand is very hot. I wouldn't put your head in it if I was you. But today I also want to talk, we're we're moving away from that, about some of the technologies that I've been reading about and many of you may know about where we're really looking at 
are we trying to play God? Are we trying to be the creator energy? In fact, are we trying to be cleverer than God? Are we trying to be cleverer than Mother Nature? And also to understand that despite what we might be told, there's two things I want to say. One is the technology, modern technology of our military, of our defense unions, of our secret services, whatever they are, are far advanced on what we're being told. We might go, ooh, look, this works, this little bit of computer information or this digital information works. Everything is far beyond that. And I think if you have been following anything to do with the vaccines, for instance, and learning a little bit more about nanotechnology or graphene or the effects of 5G on certain parts of our body or how our mind can be changed accordingly by technology, it's not now only conspiracy theorists who talk about this or those who love sci-fi. These things are happening. And if somewhat someone is talking about it, it's probably happening somewhere. So technology is far advanced on our little thinking at this present time. I spoke about plasma a few podcasts back, and plasma is definitely being employed by the military to mask their aircraft, to be able to change the structure of their aircraft, to change what's seen by radar. Plasma is understood by the technological individuals, the innovative individuals, and it's being used. So there's so much out there. And if you want to go and explore that, then do so. And I'm going to just talk about one or two things towards the close. But I also want to say is that we did not come from hunter-gatherer barbarians. And I think there's lots of teachings that always want to say that. I remember going to a site in America where it was probably talking about a thousand years ago, only a thousand. And they were visualizing these people as hunter-gatherers, obviously with their loincloth and probably beating a, a bear over the head with a piece of a log or and whipping food from their teeth. Well, if you come from a country like I do, where a thousand years ago is actually not that long ago in our history, we know that we were much more advanced than that then. And there's no reason why America probably wasn't in that same space. But if you want to go much further back, you want to be thinking, well, do I believe in Atlantis? Do I believe there was this amazing civilization that went down into the waters around 11,000 years ago that probably existed 50,000 years ago? Do I believe there was such a place as Mu or Pan, which spread across the Pacific and had these civilizations who understood how to work with animals, work with the energy of plants, worked with crystals, and work with their own light body? Do I believe in that? And the answer is, it's got to have come from somewhere. And it seems to repeat the pattern from various channelers. So you can't dismiss it. And my dear indigenous individuals who I love, they always talked about, oh, we can go back 100,000 years. And I think we can go back 200,000, 300,000, much more. What we're understanding is there have been many versions of humanity, and you might have read about those, like Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, and Homo homo sapiens, etc. But they are only those that we, in some ways, recognize because they look like us now. We have no idea what we might have looked like in Lemurian days when we probably lived more commonly in our light body. So, in other words, you could 
communicate without skin. You were able to communicate telepathically. What I'm saying is that we may not even have had a physical form. We probably lived in our light body form. And we, therefore, the foods we ate or the foods that we consumed is a better word, really were just light. And as that civilization became more embodied into the earth, they developed a physical form, then they lost a lot of those skills. And that by the time the Atlanteans came across along, they wanted to have those same skills of natural energy, natural food, being able to absorb whatever it was that you needed in that moment from Mother Earth. But by the time the Atlanteans came, we had lost that wisdom and we had lost that ability to absorb at that high level or high frequency and our body was denser. And so even though the Atlanteans enjoyed playing or working with crystals, they couldn't do the same thing with crystals because when during our Lemurian time, we could just literally merge with the crystal and be regenerated by its energy. But the Atlanteans bought all these crystals, but they didn't know that they had to change their form in order to interact with the crystals. And I think we're in that place now where we've gone so far away that we want to take in the live food or we want sustainable energy or we want to use the energy of the earth, but our minds have actually shut down to the possibilities, but so have our physical bodies. Our physical body cannot absorb that light energy as we would have done in the past. And if we look back at what we might know about Atlantis, and recently I was reading a book about how Atlantis possibly went down uh, under the waters because of constant meteorite strikes or meteor strikes. And that probably was true. Over a period of time, it felt that the Earth was constantly being hit by this one meteor that kept coming around and shaking off a little bit of their energy and, and destroying parts of the world until the planet was actually knocked off balance somewhat. But I think there's also another story that goes around that in the Atlantean times, we tried to play God. And this seems to be a theme that we did <laughs> over and over again, which was that we use crystals to harness the sun's energy in order to create what we wanted in terms of technology or energy supply. And hey, we're doing it again. <laughs> so the understanding was that maybe the, the amount of sun that the Atlanteans brought into this earth was far greater than that could be contained by their crystals. And it knocked the earth off its normal axis. Now, some say that this is the reason why the earth is tilted at 23 and a half degrees. I may not have been around the time of Atlantis. It may have been much further back. But was there a time when we didn't have this tilt? And when we don't have a tilt, we don't have seasons we would see the same day, same night. And I'm sharing all of that just to say that there's an awful lot that's happened over uh, thousands of hundreds of thousands of years that because we are reliant on channelers, the only evidence we have left are stones. And that's the problem, stones or carvings, uh, maybe stones producing a certain sound or a certain shape. But that's the only material that survives that long. And so we don't have any organic material. We can't say, ah, oh, look, what this is what they did. We just have stones. And those stones, we can't always measure when they were carved or what was going on at that time. 
So our information is limited somewhat to the more recent times, but also to oral, oral communication, oral mythology. So stories are passed down and passed down and passed down. And someone says there was a time when we could fly in the air without any need for any uh, energy from actually in the earth because we actually balanced ourselves between the sun's energy and the earth's energy. So we knew how to harness those energies to be able to fly through the air. In some ways, getting rid of gravity. So there's a you know, we, we hear these stories, the mythologies. Uh, some of you may have come across the Book of Enoch, and it talks about Elijah and his, his machine that he created. He was told how to create it, and, and then it was literally a spaceship. But, you know, people have looked at this and said, well, maybe it could fly, maybe it couldn't. But clearly something was going on when the God of that time was informing Elijah how to do this, how to create this craft. And there have been other scenes to show that clearly we knew about space travel, we knew about air travel. So if you have ever been to Palenque and seen the lid of Lord Pakal's tomb, or seen it even on a picture, if you turn the picture slightly in one direction, you see that he actually looks as if he's a spaceman leaning back in his chair and looking out in the sky with all his instruments in front of him. And then you might go to somewhere like the Nazca Lines, and you may know the Nazca Lines, and there are other lines like this around the world where these amazing figures, like a monkey with a curved tail or the wings of a hummingbird, but you can only see them when you are high up in the sky. So how did they do that? How did they know how to create this from the land? Now, some people say, well, okay, the shamans were able to take certain herbs or peyote or ayahuasca and then rise up, and they told them how to draw this. That might be true. But maybe they also had a spaceship or they had some form of aircraft that could take them up and create that same energy. So there are things that we don't understand, which is great. And there's things which we are somehow trying to relate only to our understanding. And because of that, we sometimes get a little lost. So I was reading my wonderful book by Lawrence Gardner, not my book, but I think he was such a master. And Lawrence Gardner was the, the man who I talked about, talked about the arc and about the gold, monoatomic gold. And he, this book that I'm reading, and it's called The Lost Secrets of the Sacred Ark, just if you're interested, he is just a master at looking at different translations. So what he did was he looks at some very ancient translations of the Bible of how that's been changed. So the word that we know from manna from heaven, you may have come across, and I talked about how that's monoatomic gold, it's a white powder it also has a word named Mufka, and that was its original name. But when he looks back at what that translation meant, Mufka meant, what is it? So <laughs> when we say manna from heaven, we're really saying, what is it from heaven? So I just think this is always when you understand translations, it's often been mistranslated because it was really a communication, someone saying, what is it? 
And they went, oh, it's, it's that. That's what they're telling me it is. When in fact they were asking a question. And then he translated and said, no, they weren't talking about a temple on a mountain. They were talking about a workshop. Very different things. And then he goes further and said, actually, the word wasn't worship. It was workship. Oh, that's so different. So if you worked in a workshop, you were doing, you had an apprenticeship, a workshop. And he said that the people who worked in these amazing temples who were able to transmit or transmute the gold into monatomic gold, they were known as craftsmen but they were also known as crafty or cunning. It's interesting, these are where those words come from. Someone who's very clever. Of course, we see cunning as maybe sometimes a bit negative, but cunning meant clever. And he said when he looked at the real meaning behind Joseph, who was Yeshua's father, he wasn't a carpenter. He was a craftsman, which meant he was trained in this alchemical transmutation of base metals into gold. It makes a big difference. So you start to say, well, okay, these were technologies they understood. And then he goes further and he talks about two stones that were passed down from the days of Abraham through to Moses, through to Solomon, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the original stones were said to be passed down from the Anunnaki who were said to have been an ET group that came from Nibiru, etc. So they were ETs. And these two stones, one was said to be a sapphire and one was said to be a ruby. And the sapphire one was called the stone of perfection. And what it seemed to be able to do was to levitate something, uh, bring it, um, you know, obviously levitate. And so the ark was held above the ground in, in terms of how it was described. And then the other stone, the ruby one, was said to be the stone of lightning. And that stone was able to cut through anything. And that comes back to an idea that I was often viewed is how did they cut the stones that I've gone to see that are maybe four or 5,000 years old? How did they cut them with such precision? Well, clearly there was this stone where there was more than one, but it had, stone, it had the ability to cut through anything. And when he explored this further, he said that that stone was often seen as a serpent going around a, a center pole. And that serpent going around a center pole is really how we originally made an electric coil to produce electricity of, through magnetism. So this ability to cut through anything seemed to be a combination of the coil around the center tube. Now, this means that that is a level of power. So where's Christine going with this? What's so interesting is that you also have that same energy within your own body like I do. What is it? It is what we call the Pingali, the Ida, and the Shushna. And these are three different structures, columns, that run up and down our spine. One goes down. One comes up, and the shushma is the combination of the two. So just unlike having one serpent going around the central column, this is more like the caduceus, two different serpents going around the center. 
So in other words, and I'm just really being uh, translating this over, that when we develop our own kundalini energy, when we develop the power within each of our chakras from beneath our feet, the root chakra, up through the base chakra, etc., all the way to the crown, and then above, when we clear these energies, waken up our, our chakras through our own inner work, we have the power to cut through anything. All right. So before I move on from that, one of the things that we often see, and you may have seen if you saw an image of a caduceus, there are often two serpents that come together, and where they come together is actually the third eye. And then above that, on the top of the pole, is a cone, and that's the pineal gland. So what we understand from the ancient people, it wasn't just about having a stone that you could break or cut it through anything, that we were the stone, that when we developed our own energy, we had the power through the power of intention and frequency to cut through anything. And this is how it's often described that something like the Emerald Tablets were created or when you may see that there's actually an etching in a stone, you think, how did they do that? Or how did they levitate the stones? I'm using that same analogy. They use the energy by building it into their third eye, focusing at all that energy, that power of lightning in their third eye, and then applied their clear intention, which could cut through or change anything to depending on what you wanted. So when we have clear intention and we have pure energy running through our body, we can bring about magic. And I think on a more uh, physical term or maybe emotional terms, we can cut through and see things as they truly are. So when our third eye is clear, when we've cleared our energy, we're very clear at the third eye, then we cut through and see everything just as it is. You can hear I'm leaving out a word, but we cut through the crap and we actually see things as they truly are. And that's where we're all developing is that clear-sightedness, clear intention, not affected by our ego desires. And I say that because that is what I understand keeps holding us back. We wanted to become gods, but we wanted to become gods because we wanted to be better than, and therefore there was a comparison. Therefore there was a judgment. And as soon as we talk about judgments or better than, or not better than, or I deserve, you don't deserve, this is all our ego talk. When we come from that place of the third eye, which is discernment, it's not about do I deserve or not? Do I desire it or not? Am I good enough? It's just like it's there. And that's that energy of clarity. And the ability to say, it's going to be there when I need it, or it's there now, isn't because you're going to be a better person for having that. It just is true. And when it's not there, it's just true. So our ability to clear our energy from our old patterns, old beliefs of right and wrong, or deserving or not, or I must have this, is what's getting in our way of having that pure light energy, that, that stone of light 
which is really the stone of enlightenment and the stone of perfection, which is, I'm already there. That's the levitation they're talking about. That pineal gland is saying, you're there. It's what we keep forgetting. So in our inner work is what helps us to clear this, clearing our intention, not giving ourselves the power to keep thinking ourselves small or inadequate. That's what separates us. Remember, fear is separation. Love is connection. So in our thoughts, in my thoughts, I'm always asking myself, does that thought separate me or connect me more fully to myself? If it separates me, then I'm not going to think it. So this is coming from the past. I think that technology was so profound in the past, but it was very different than what we're seeing now. Because we might say, oh, isn't it wonderful? We could produce a, I don't know, a rocket to take us to Mars. But they would look at us and maybe even our future ancestors would say to us, why do you need a rocket? You just have to think it. And so our very limitation to believe that we need a rocket keeps us small. What they did was I get myself out of my own way and I'm there. So to me, the Lemurians and previous to those generations already knew how to move around through light speed without any problem. And that's to me where we're moving. But I feel we're doing it in a rather pedestrian way in many ways. We're trying to, oh, look how clever we are. We have a very strong uh, magnet now. We have a very strong rocket and this is what we're doing. Now, this takes me finally to what's going on now. And many of you have heard these words, but I thought I would just bring them up. We have HARP and HARP was set up certainly in, in Alaska. And I will just read what it actually means. Um, let me just see if I can see my HARP, High Frequency Active or Auroral Research Program. And it was set up to actually see what could, was happening in the ionosphere. Uh, it began in uh, 1993, finished in 2007, was going to be shut down in 2014 because there was a lot of fuss about it. But then the University of Alaska and Fairbanks took it over. And one of the things that it was supposed to do was just to sort of purpose was to analyze the ionosphere and investigate the potential for develop, uh, developing ionospheric enhancement technology for radio communication and surveillance. There we are, I read it all out for you. That was what HARP was meant to do. Can we send radio waves through the ionosphere? Can we improve satellite communication? I'm not sure if that's really what I wanted it to do anyway, but more and more conspiracy theorists and again, I may be one of those, said, no, HARP is being used for geoengineering, for changing the weather, and not only changing weather, causing volcanoes, causing earthquakes, causing other issues. Now, you can look up this yourself. You'll find that uh, there's an awful lot on the internet about conspiracy theories, and that's they're all wrong. But there's no smoke without fire, as we would say. And that some part of that has a strong memory because we do know, and if you go into looking at geoengineering and uh, weaponizing weather, that's the other word they use, you'll find that Russia, China, US, UK have all been working on this for a long time. 
Uh, some of you know of chemtrails. It has that same energy. So what originally was being done, and nobody has any doubt that this has been happening, is that if you wanted to bring rain or you wanted to reduce the size of the hailstones, then you could send a plane up with silver iodide in it, spray that silver iodide into the clouds, which would then change the formation of the clouds, make the hailstones smaller, make it rain, lots of things you could do to actually change what was going on. Now, you know, that has its own side effects because you're saying, does this area need more rain? Does it need less rain? Does it need to be colder? Does it, I mean, who knows? Who's making this decision? And when I was watching the YouTubes on this, it was talking about, well, some people say it means that, you know, California gets all the rain and somewhere else doesn't. That wasn't actually true. I mean, 1% difference. More importantly, why are we doing it in the first place? And they were saying, well, we have to watch to make sure our dams can hold all the water we're creating. Whoa, <laughs> who said we needed to be doing some of this? So this has been happening for a long time. And then I went on to another system where they didn't need to send up a plane. They were doing it from the ground and it's called Ahogs. And this is a seeding system. So they're seeding the clouds from the ground. And there's something similar. They fire flares into the air with the silver iodine in and it changes the weather. You know, I don't know. So then I moved on into looking at people who are trying to change the heat of the sun. So the desire is to send sulfur dust into the atmosphere. And in doing that, then you will actually reduce the, the heat coming onto the planet by a few degrees. <laughs> And why they decided this was a good idea was because when there's a volcano, sulfur is released and therefore there's a cooling of the earth during that time. Again, probably not a great idea, but that's what they've been thinking about. There are many who are worried about producing more acid rain or problems to the ozone level. So now they've got another idea <laughs> is, hey, let's put really deep, uh, tubes into the water and then spin the water up, bringing the cold water up to the surface. And then we increase the amount of plankton and the plankton eat the CO2. So we all have less CO2. But hey, you're going to have to have an awful lot of these pumps pumping the water up. And hey, who, you know, where are we going with any of that? And, you know, you may feel that this is really technology at its best. It's child's play to what's really going on. And when I spoke about Atlantis using or harnessing the sun's energy and trying to hold it through crystals, what I believe happened was that we played God, tried to harness that sun's energy and we caused floods, maybe a distortion to the, to the orbit of the earth. And I think, isn't it interesting that now we're looking for free energy. The one thing that could give us free energy is, hey, that big thing sh shining in the sky. <laughs> but we don't go there. We have solar panels. Or, but it's nothing compared with what I think we did before, this <laughs> nuclear bomb that's up there in the, uh, in the sky. We, we didn't, we're not bothering with that. So there's something that almost like I think that when humanity does something wrong, we almost enter an amnesic state to never do it again. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like, no, you're not going to go there. Don't even think about it. 
Now, the last thing I just want to mention is CERN. Some of you know about CERN in Switzerland. It is this wonderful uh, collider, Hadron Collider, that was meant to go and look for the God particle. And apparently, and again, I was reading this up, the searching for other dimensions that gravity or gravitons, particles of gravity, may exist in. Um, and they do that by producing many black holes. I just think we've been doing this. So when you look at CERN, it was looking for the God particle, but it really was looking for other dimensions and really trying to understand gravity. If you, if you speed it up, the atoms, the molecules, et cetera, to such a degree, you would watch where something escaped from and where did it go? And that's what they were looking for. Where do these gravitons, where do these tiny, tiny, tiny particles go to if you speed up a, a, an atom? to extraordinary speeds. And what they were trying to do is to see if there were other dimensions. But this is also the same as creating mini black holes. And most of us have no idea what happens to a black hole and what a white hole is on the other side. The, the whole universe is made up of black holes in the sense of Every, the center of every galaxy is a black hole. Many stars are black holes, have black holes in them. Um, we, this is what we believe. And they're passageways. So a black hole passes through what I see as a wormhole and then comes out as a white hole. We know black holes exist because we see them literally absorbing the stars. And they're called black holes because they take in all the light and no more light is seen. So if we are trying to, in our wisdom, create these tiny mini black black holes, and they say, oh, they're only little black holes. What is disappearing into them? What light is disappearing into them? What are we doing? And not only what are we doing as the light is absorbed into a mini black hole, what's coming out of it? Because these black holes are wormholes. And what is a wormhole? It's a portal between dimensions. So not only do things leave, they also enter. So what is happening as we are playing God? What is happening as we are saying, hey, let's see what we can do? Many years ago, there was Star Wars and not just the film, but actually the idea of sending up war, of having a, a machine or some sort of weaponry in the space. And I was told very strongly by my guides, you can do what you like in your own ionosphere or stratosphere, but you will never be able to do anything outside that. We will never let you affect the rest of the solar system or definitely not the galaxy with your ideas. And we will shut that down. And we have seen that, that many a time a UFO has been around and shut down missile sites or shut down situations where it would be far too dangerous to allow that to continue. And the danger, if I may say, is not about humans. The danger is to other solar systems or other beings within our earth. I can understand that what's happening now is that we will only be allowed to go as far as what we may do, create a mess in our own lives, maybe a little bit of a mess on the planet, but we will never be able to destroy the planet herself. Humanity is not that important. We've been wiped out before. We will be wiped out again if we stop playing games and stop trying to play God. We're in for interesting times, my friends. Stay cool, stay rooted, stay in love.
stay connected to the universal truth that will always exist within our hearts, minds, and within this beautiful planet Earth. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.